Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 198 Trends in Western Buddhist Communities. This week we speak with PhD candidate and Buddhist blogger Brooke Shedneck about her research into the trends and emerging patterns in Western Buddhist communities. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn, and I'm joined today over the phone with Brooke Shednick. She's coming live from Chiang Mai, Thailand. So this is probably the furthest non-local interview we've done, but it's great to have you on the show, Brooke. Great, thanks. Um, you're a PhD candidate at Arizona State University. You're doing Buddhist studies, and you're in Thailand right now doing research for the past just over a year. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your research and also about some of the trends you've been noticing in modern Buddhism. You also are a blogger at Wandering Dhamma. That's Dhamma, like the Pali version of Dharma. Before we jump into that, though, I kind of was interested in getting a little bit of your personal background with Buddhism. A lot of times academics don't like to talk about their personal relationship to a particular religion, but I figured since you're on Buddhist Geeks and since you're a listener, I figured I'd hit you with that question anyway. Oh, yeah, it's true. A lot of academics have kind of a little bit of a difficult relationship with the whole scholar-practitioner thing. Is it a good thing? Is it a not good for your career? But I think for me and what I do in my blog and in my research, it's kind of like a natural question because I do so much practice for my research that I write about on my blog. But I became um, interested in Buddhist studies in college. I think a lot of it's a time when a lot of people become interested in Buddhism. It's hard to learn about it before then. Um, I was always interested in learning about religion and Asia, about Asia, because in my earlier education, we were only learning about America and European history, and I just thought Asia is the opposite of this, and this is what I want to learn about, and I was mostly focusing on, on religion, and so I thought it was the most interesting part of it. And so from there... I took one seminar at Boston University where I went to undergraduate and it was a seminar on meditation. And the teacher made us go to a meditation center in the Boston area once a week and keep a meditation journal. Wow. We could choose any anyone and there's so many different ones there, but I chose the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. Oh, yeah. Mostly because I knew where that was and I knew it would be easy for me to get there because I used to live in that area, but I had never been there before. I didn't know about that type of meditation, but I really liked it there. I liked the teachers, and after that class was over, I would go there on and off. I wasn't a member, a regular person, but I would go there and um, do the under 30 nights with Michael and Narayan, Leibniz and Grady, and they were my teachers for the introduction meditation class and and so that's how I kind of got into practicing meditation but in this class the seminar meditation there's also 
a component of field research where you'd go to the center and um, I chose to compare like contemporary meditation practices with early Buddhist communities. So I think that this early experience made me think about connecting meditation with research and how you can look at contemporary meditation and religion and modernity through practice at the same time. So that's kind of how I've always approached my interest in in Buddhism. I've always had a kind of academic bent to it. And, you know, this whole idea of a scholar, practitioner, I'm definitely a scholar. And then the practitioner part, I think, is what's interesting about studying Buddhism. And it's kind of what I'm studying and these questions around conversion and Buddhist identity. It just shows the new changes and ideas that are being brought up with representations of Buddhism and modernity and with religious pluralism makes it this complex issue of what does it mean to self-identify as a Buddhist and I've been doing a lot of research about this question is Buddhism a religion even so how can I identify with it and if you practice meditation does this make you a Buddhist or can you just be a meditator so I'm interested in in looking at these questions, not necessarily answering them for everyone or even for myself, but just that these questions are are a possibility in people's religious lives. And Buddhism is such an interesting example of this because it blurs these lines between conversion and exploration of, of a tradition or religion and secularism. So, I mean, because of, of my research involves so much meditation, I think... I'm definitely sympathetic to the tradition. I know a lot of colleagues that would not go into this type of research that I do that involves so much practice. This would be hard for them to endure, but I went to Thailand. I came here about two years ago, and I did a meditation retreat for 10 days because I hadn't done any retreats before when I was in America practicing in, in the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, just day retreats, not long-term ones. So I came here and I did that, and then I knew that I could do the research the next year when I got funding. That's why I chose to do this type of field work, you know, because of my interest in meditation, but also these questions about Buddhism and modernity are so interesting. I think that this is a way to illuminate these aspects. Okay, so... Maybe another question just around your research is when you're going in to do field research, you're calling it, where you're going to meditate or do a retreat, mm-hmm. how are you conceptualizing that? Because on the one hand, I could see approaching something like that as research, but then on the other hand, I can see as a practitioner myself approaching it with some aim in mind for myself that I'll get something personally mm-hmm. out of it. Do you have to deal with both of those as competing or uh, complementary motives or are you primarily focused on one over the other? Yeah, I think in a way that they are competing, but I think of them as both for myself. Like the research I think is important for me as a scholar and also as part of my my interest in, in answer, trying to answer some of these questions that I have about Buddhism and modernity. It's tough sometimes to balance with meditation and if I was just going into a meditation retreat without thinking about any type of 
research questions, it would probably be, be a different experience. Hmm. But even if I was just doing a meditation retreat, like I'm such an academic and so interested in these questions that those questions would come up for me anyway, and I would be still kind of observing what was going on rather than you know, just focusing on this type of practice only. But I do think of them as both beneficial for me in learning about Buddhism and learning about myself. Cool. In some cases, I was able to not be so concerned about the research because I had already done an interview with the meditation teacher or I knew that everything was set and I had already done a large portion of observation. I could just, for a lot of the time, just focus on meditations. Some cases I was able to balance it better than others. Mm, interesting. And when you're going at this particular type of fieldwork, the first person exploration fieldwork, what kinds of things are you are you looking for? Are you paying attention to exploring, researching, for instance, on a meditation retreat? It just seems so interesting to me to be coming at it from an academic perspective. It'd be cool to hear what kinds of things you do. Mostly I do participant observation, so looking around and and seeing what's going on and what I'm looking at in these meditation retreats, I go to places where there are foreigners, where there's international meditators. So always an international meditation retreat center or monastery. I look at the ways that foreigners are being presented with the tradition and the degrees to which they're being taught about meditation, taught about Buddhist culture, mixed with the Thai meditators, if this is a place that has foreigners and Thai Buddhist laity meditating together, to what degree are they integrated through the teachings or separated? And so let's just see the observation of it, you know, because language is obviously a difference. They're separated through groups where some monks teach in English and the other monks teach in Thai, but in some cases there's no teaching involved. It's just an individual retreat where you just go and meditate. So in those cases, it's about the interviews for the English speakers with their teacher, the orientation practices of entering the retreat and leaving the retreat. How are these similar or different to the baseline of the Thai meditators, the degree to which they are taken to the other aspects of the retreat besides meditation, like chanting, the chanting periods with the monks in the morning and the evening. Some places they lead you in a yoga practice and some places you receive the precepts, the eight precepts to live in a temple, and some places they don't need foreigners to do those practices if they think that foreigners are non-Buddhist so they don't have to take these formal vows while living in the monastery. So there's a lot of those kind of differences that I look at in the representations of Buddhism, meditation, and Buddhist culture. And then while observing this, then I create questions for the meditation teachers, for the foreigners. And usually at the end, I ask them some of these questions and their opinions about what I've observed and what they think of the foreign meditators, how they've adapted the teachings for them, and how they feel that the international meditators are, are receiving the teachings, their teacher that has been there for a long time, how they have seen the international meditators change over time, their ideas about meditation, 
in Buddhism. So it depends on each site, but usually a lot of issues come up. And so along with meditating, I do the looking around at everything and then do the interview with the meditation teacher. I usually can't talk with international meditators so much if it's a silent retreat, but sometimes I try to before or afterwards or if we're allowed to talk a little bit during the mealtime just to see who's there and, and why, how they heard about it, just to get some kind of small background information, some anecdotes. You know, I know besides just the trends from your own research, one of the things you blog a lot about are trends just in modern Buddhism in general. And I know you stay really in touch with a lot of different things that are going on. That's one of the things we wanted to speak with you about because that's kind of the space in which Buddhist geeks exist to explore. So I figured it'd be cool to get your sense of what are some of the interesting trends that you see going on in modern Buddhism. Yeah, I think my research also, because I'm, you know, I'm in Thailand, but I'm looking at international travelers. It's kind of like still looking at Buddhism in, in English-speaking countries because it's the same people that come here and create communities and engage with the tradition. So it's kind of just looking at it from a different angle and different perspective. So I think that keeps me related to Buddhism in the West and trends as well. But yeah, I think that what I'm seeing in Thailand are these people who are so, you know, this diversity of engagement with Buddhism is also what you see in Buddhism in the West. It's one of the trends of people becoming interested in, in meditation as something secular, as a something for mundane benefits like stress relief and then people who are really committed to meditation and interested in monasticism. And one of the things I think might be becoming more popular is monasticism as like I'm seeing in Thailand there are these temporary monastic programs that a lot of people are interested in. Again, it's just for the experience of being a monk for a small period of time, like a week or a month, and learning about the tradition in that way, more about the culture of being in Thailand. But I think that it still sparks an interest in people for the monastic tradition. And a lot of times, Buddhism in the West has been talked about as being more of a lay tradition. That's one of the ways that it has adapted to the West, that it has more lay teachers. Um, A lot of people are arguing for lay teachers and practitioners as being, in some ways, higher than monastics because they live in this real world and not this supposed artificial monastic environment. And I wrote an article about this for an academic journal, and I used some of the Buddhist geeks interviews for that, which was great. So that was talking about the trend of laicization and how monastics were arguing for their place in Buddhism in the West. And I think that it is becoming a little bit more accepted to have monasticism rather than only lay practitioners, lay teachers. I think people are starting to see that, especially with the Thai forest tradition coming to America and how it's even more rooted in England, how they are the ones that are really putting forward this idea of monasticism as important for the development of Buddhism in the West. And the other thing that I wrote about on my blog that was very interesting and revealing as a trend for modern Buddhism was something that you're involved with, Vince, what I called the hardcore Dhamma 
movement, but I think the group is calling it more pragmatic dharma, which is this group of teachers mainly Kenneth Folk and Daniel Ingram that you've talked about on Buddha Speaks a lot. They're openly calling themselves enlightened and, and arhants. And so on my blog, I just wrote about the features of this movement and how it's something kind of different and new for Buddhism in the West. The comments I got on it, I think, show the kind of division that's still present in American Buddhist communities. Some people were very positive about it and behind these teachers coming out of the closet and calling themselves enlightened and other people were very challenged by this idea. You know, and that was the main point of contention that these people are calling themselves enlightened and also showed some ideas about monasticism and the uh, practitioners too that that a lot of people think that monastics are the ones who become enlightened. So this, this showed this division as well. And I just was calling it the hardcore Dhamma movement just because that was Daniel Ingram's title of his book, that it was an unusually hardcore Dhamma book because no one had really talked about this before, so I didn't know what to call it, but now it seems like it's being called Parabonic Dharma. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to talk about for trends in American Buddhist communities is how practitioners are becoming so involved, I think, in the direction of Buddhism in the West how they really have an investment in its future and in its direction. And I think you can see this in the many blogs about Buddhism and the many readers, even with the awards coming out. I think there were many votes for the Boggy Sattva Awards. So I think you see it there that people are, are trying to debate about Buddhism in the West and its adaptations here and, and how to create its future, and how people want to be informed about this, and also in the books that are written now about Buddhism, a lot of books that are written recently are about the traditional Buddhist teachings, and there are kind of modern commentaries on it, like most recently, Ajahn Sujito's Turning the Wheel of Truth, which is about the Buddhist first teaching after his enlightenment, and then books on meditation that go back to the Visuddhimagga and the Satipatthana Sutta, they go back to the Pali Canon and the early commentaries of it. And there's an audience for this because people don't necessarily want to go back and read the sutras, but that they have access to the direct teachings of the Buddha through these teachers. It still gives them kind of a pathway to learning about the tradition, not just from what the teacher says, but they know that it's from, it has a lineage to the Buddha. So they have this kind of authority that they can see. And of course the teacher who's writing the book has a certain slant and omits things perhaps and emphasizes others. But the fact that practitioners want to learn about these older teachings, these ancient teachings that come from the Buddha or the early disciples, I think shows practitioners are trying to really get a handle on Buddhism and the tradition itself in America, not just meditation, as has been the case. So I think a lot of the trends for American Buddhism at least show a kind of balancing, whereas before it was more leaning towards secularism, laicization. From what I'm seeing, we're coming to a little bit more of a balance now.
Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.